and following these values in our day-to-day life is a life which is in keeping with the knowledge of the truth obtaining the reality <coughs> which becomes a means for knowledge of the absolute reality. As I said, having a relative happiness in my heart is a means of gaining the knowledge of absolute happiness. Having relative peace or silence in myself becomes a basis for knowing myself as absolute silence. And similarly also, having relative knowledge in my life becomes a basis of absolute knowledge. <coughs> and so we discussed yesterday how therefore these values are valuable. The value should become valuable to me and I will only adopt in my life that which is valuable. I will not adopt something which is not valuable. And therefore, whenever I compromise a value such as truthfulness or whatever, then at that time I do not think it is valuable to me. Or that there is something more valuable. So when there is a conflict between two things, then whatever I consider as more valuable will be chosen. And whatever I think is less valuable will be will be sacrificed. And so whenever there is a compromise of this value or sacrifice of the values such as truthfulness, etc., that means that there is something more important to me in my life, which I think is more valuable than this. And therefore we say that we must first discover the, the value of these values, that these are most valuable things. <coughs> As I said, there is only one value, and that is myself. All I want is myself, really. Even when we say we want moksha, we want freedom, we want happiness, we want success, all of that is the these are only nothing but descriptions of a self only. It is self that is happiness, it is self that is freedom or moksha and therefore through all of that really I am only desiring to own up myself. Somehow I simply estrange from myself on account of ignorance and therefore just owning up myself is a life. And as we said yesterday, each of these values in fact represents nothing but my own self and therefore following these values is valuing myself. So having value for the value is having value for myself, valuing myself, respecting myself. When I disrespect these values, I'm disrespecting myself. And that's the reason why whenever a value is compromised, there is a conflict in my mind. Because whenever I compromise or sacrifice a value, I am in fact acting quite contrary to my own nature and that's what brings about the conflict. <coughs> so with that introduction, we can briefly look at these values beginning from verse 7, Amanitvam, the first value. Humility, Amanitvam, the absence of Manitvam. Manitvam means pride and Amanitvam means absence of pride, meaning humility. We said that these values are derived from the nature of the self. And self is Amani, there is no pride. Atma or the self has no pride at all. Who is a proud person? What is meant by a mani or a proud person is because a person possesses certain qualifications either in terms of knowledge, scholarship, some other kinds of abilities one person possesses and he thinks very highly of himself. So thinking too highly of myself is manitvam or pride. Meaning taking the credit for what for what my accomplishments are. That there are certain accomplishments in my life and I congratulate myself. I take the credit for those accomplishments and this self-congratulation or looking upon myself as something special is what is called manitvam or pride. <coughs> Humility and the way to deal with manitvam. This is a natural tendency. It's a natural tendency on the part of a human being to feel that I am something. That's a need. It's a need on my part to feel that I am something. Because there is a need to accept myself and I can become acceptable to myself only when I possess some distinctions, something that distinguishes me from other people. And therefore, this pride is also a need. As, as it will explain, the reason is because in fact I don't think too highly of myself and therefore demanding respect from other people. So when other people respect me, I then feel that I must be respectable and then I feel good about myself. Since I do not think I am very respectable and therefore a need to gain respect from others. So this tendency to demand, at least in my own mind, I may not outwardly express it, 
but within my own mind there is a demand for respect. Whatever I call respect, everybody has their own definition of what respect is, but then there is a demand for respect. And that demand comes because I don't think that I am respectable enough or I do not respect myself enough and therefore a need to be respected by others. This is manikram. The opposite is humility. So this tendency on my part to think too highly of myself can be dealt with by the opposite value called humility. If I look at the realities of the life, whatever accomplishments I may have in terms of scholarship, in terms of wealth, in terms of power, in terms of recognition, in terms of whatever, whatever accomplishments I have in my life, because of which I think I am important, because of which I think I am respectable, because of which I think other people should respect, because of which I demand respect and attention of other people, whatever those accomplishments are, when I look at the, look at the realities of what it is that brought about those accomplishments, I will find that, in fact, all those accomplishments are possible because of a lot of favor that is done to me. So coming to think of it, I cannot take credit for any accomplishment. Because everything has been given to me, the body also has been given to me, my mind also has been given to me, the intellect also is given to me, and even the possibility is given to me. I may have worked hard in order to develop my intellectual capacities and other capacities, but all of that could be possible provided the possibility also was given. So possibility of of cultivating the intellectual ability was given, the possibility of working hard was given, all of this is given to me. And therefore, my accomplishments are nothing but the gift given to me. In fact, what I should have is a sense of gratitude rather than a sense of pride or ownership. And so this idea of pride can be, or this, this need for demanding respect, or feeling proud about my accomplishments can be addressed by looking at the mechanism of how the accomplishments came about and by recognizing how it is that it is really unfortunate and privileged that these accomplishments I have. And so, enjoy the accomplishments, but there is no need to take credit or ownership of those accomplishments and this, this is what brings about humility. I realize that it is by God's grace that I was born in this family, that I have got this body. I look upon myself as a handsome person, that also is given to me. I am taller than others, they are also given to me. I am stronger than others, also given to me. Brighter than others, also given to me. And so many opportunities are given, so much lucky I am, so much fortunate I am. So when I look at all of this in my life, it's nice to have all of this. At the same time, it, is, it creates in me, this appreciation creates in me a sense of gratitude and brings about a humility. So humility is a way to deal with pride. <coughs> but Swami, how do I know that I have pride? Well, the way to know is, anytime I feel hurt, then there is pride within there. When do I feel hurt? When I'm not treated properly. What is meant by not being treated properly? Whatever I think is proper treatment has not been given to me. You may give me proper treatment. You may put an asana for Swami, you know. I think a chair should have been there. You may bring this, this red chair, I think that chair should have been there. You bring that chair, I think something else should have been there. So I have my own, you know, criteria of judging what is meant by showing respect to me. And so even though you may show respect to me from your standpoint, I may interpret that as a lack of respect or disrespect. And so there is no such criterion or no such standard of what is meant by respect, etc. also. And so, the futility of this seeking respect also will help me to get over with this demand, demanding respect. And looking at the reality of life also will enable me to appreciate the fact that I should be grateful for what I have rather than being proud of what I have. Then I can enjoy them. I can enjoy whatever gifts have been given to me and with gratitude, with gratefulness. <coughs> so this is Amanitvam, Adambhitvam is unpretentiousness, pretending, this is another tendency. Everybody has this, there is nobody free from mana. And so as I said, I know that I have a manitvam when I feel hurt. 
and that means I expected some respect which did not come forth and I feel hurt. Swami Jai was invited to the wedding party all right but I did not you know our, I, you know that's all I they did not quite talk to me properly. They did not do this to me. I was invited here. The Swamis are invited also. Depends on how they are made to sit. I was made to sit at the end you know not in the center. And thus don't think that anybody is free from that you know and therefore everywhere this business is there because everybody has a need to feel that is important and Swami would say that a person who is a great scientist also is fuming and fretting because he was not recommended for Nobel Prize you know he's as much a child as anybody else who did not get a particular seat on a dais as somebody else who did not get his little share of demand I mean respect is all of this shows that we have to look at ourselves and discover the respect from our own self. A respect that comes by itself is much more enjoyable than the respect that is demanded and therefore, so I know that I have pride whenever I feel hurt. I should look at myself and accept the realities as they are, not demanding respect, whatever comes, enjoy it, if it doesn't come, let it not come. <coughs> then Adam Mitvam unpretentiousness. Another ten minutes each one of us is to pretend to be different from what we are, to show myself to be different from what we are. How old are you? Thirty-five, you know. I know what I am, you know. But then, somehow there is a sense of shame that everybody has about themselves. There are certain things I am ashamed of. I am ashamed of some aspects of myself and therefore I do not want to expose them. I do not want that they should be exposed. I do not want that people should know about them. What I know about myself should not be known to others. Not only that, but it should be known differently. And therefore, even though I may just, few Sanskrit sentences I know, I just talk, you know, and people think that, oh, Swami speaks Sanskrit, you know. In India, this used to happen in the school, you know, they learn three, four English sentences, and he goes to the, some sports club and says those sentences, you know, and people feel that, oh, this fellow speaks English very well. And just showing myself to be different from what I am is also a tendency. Hiding things and, and showing them, so what's your salary? They're all standard things, you know, that everybody always uh, have problems. Well, nobody's ever satisfied with them. Even though I may be getting good salary, but I think I am not. Even though I may be a good-looking person, I don't think I am. Even though, you know, so everybody has this complex. And everybody is made up of the virtues as well as limitations or shortcomings. And so, unpretentiousness, adam bhitvam, freedom from dambha, this is also, as Swami says, all you need is human mind for all of this, by the way. There is no manitvam, dambhitvam anywhere in the nature. Nobody demands respect. No cow demands respect of other people that I should go and worship a cow every day. And nobody, a buffalo, doesn't say that every day I am giving you 10 liter of milk, what are you doing for me? No such thing. <laughs> so therefore, this demand of respect is also a human requirement and pretending to be different what I am. And so whether I change the color of my hair or whether I go and change something else, what is all a need to appear to be different from what I am. Not accepting as I am. Animals have no problem. A buffalo is black, doesn't accept it. A cow may be white, accepts it. And whatever the horns are, accepts it. And so in nature, no pretension at all, no pretentiousness. Everything shows itself what it is. That's the nature of the order. In the order of the world, there is no pride. In the wrong order of the world, there is no pretentiousness. They say we can learn from nature. All of these values ultimately come from the nature because if the, if the creation is manifestation of God, these are basically the nature of the God and therefore this is all manifest in creation also. And so, freedom from pretension. Not pretending to be different from what I am. It is not that I have to go and declare all my limitations or shortcomings to the world. Not that I have to declare them. But if a time comes, I should be willing to own them up. If somebody confronts me and asks me an embarrassing question, alright, I should be willing to own up my limitation, my shortcoming. It is not my shortcoming, it is the body. If my nose is like that, what can I do about it, you know? I have not created it. My ears are like this, what can I do? They are protruding out, you know? What can I do about it? That's what it is. I, I, I don't know if you can do something, I don't know what you can do, but then it could, you could. Maybe, but so what? If it's important to a person, he can do that, nothing wrong in it. But all I'm saying is that there is 
we should be willing to own up our limitations and shortcomings also knowing at least for a vedant experience knowing fully well that all these limitations belong to the prakriti the personality they do not belong to the self and regardless of what i do with my ears and still i will i know me perfect regardless of what i do with my body it can never be perfect regardless of what i do with my mind it can never be perfect nothing can ever be perfect and therefore everything will have continued of limitations and if i have problem with limitations i will always i will always have problem so accepting that shortcomings or limitations of my personality also are a reality of life i have not created this body it is given to me i have not created the sense organs they are given to me i have not created the mind it is given to me i have not created limitations they are given to me i can do whatever i can do i'm not saying i should not do anything about limitation i can try to overcome them to the extent that i can but i can never eliminate them completely and in the process of i mean i am trying and still limitations are there shortcomings are there there is no need to be ashamed about them to own them up then there will be no need to pretend to be different from what i am because it's a big burden to pretend that i remember what did i tell this person what did i tell that person and so every time i may have to fra- fabricate a story and then people will then people get together and then this word swami told me and this is what he told me you know and that's how things will be exposed one day anyway and that being the case it's much easier to be one thing inside and same thing outside human <coughs> pretension starts from putting on clothes to begin with nobody wears clothes in the world you know except human being nobody sees a need of wearing clothes also you know they just expose themselves what they are so ideally is what they call avadhuta you know so lord lord shiva is digambara quarters are his clothes meaning that he is naked and so those sadhus called avadhutas they don't even see the need of putting on clothes there is no identification of the body that's the idea more identified i am i am with my personality more self conscious i become more ashamed i become of my limitation and then i have to protect myself i have to pretend all of these also will require me to slowly become free from giving up too much ident- with too much identification with my personality recognize the body for what it is the mind for what it is and need not equate them with the self i need not judge myself with my personality <coughs> ahimsa also the nature of the self atma is ahimsaka the self never hurts anything he never opposes anything Lord Krishna says, I abide equally in everybody. Samoham sarabhuteshu namedveshyo sinapriyaha That I equally abide the self of all. Here it was said, Kshetrajnam chapamam viddi sarvakshetreshu bharada Here you can understand that I am the self in all the personality. I am the person in all the personality. Doesn't matter what the personality is. Swamiji gives an example, you know, judging. Suppose there is a doctor, you know, now an alcoholic goes to him, what will the doctor say? Come on, you know, you are an alcoholic, I don't want to talk to you. No, to a doctor the fellow is only a patient. Whether he is an alcoholic or he is a drug addict or whoever it is, he treats him as a patient. When he comes to me, I ask him, you are a drug addict? An alcoholic? Not this. I keep on judging, you know. But then, then I oppose because I have my own standards of how things should be. self has no standard at all it equally gives satta and sphurti existence and intelligence to everything unopposed self is unopposed to everything and ahimsa meaning being unopposed to everything accepting everything the himsa the violence comes when there is opposition when there is non acceptance when there is resentment when there is hatred when there is aversion when there is retaliation that is when i become violent violence comes from anger so whenever anger comes from intolerance so i cannot tolerate things then i become angry after i become angry i become violent and so non violent of course when i become angry i become violent i become disrespectful to the other person insensitive to the other person so ahimsa or non violence demands that we should become sensitive to other persons being accepting of other people as they are with their virtues and their limitations that's how they are created god has created in that way that's what they are 
Swamiji, he hates me. That is how he is created. He dislikes me. That is how he is created. Let him be what he is. And so, accepting whatever there is as creation of the Lord and being as non-demanding as I can, being as non-demanding as I can will make me, will enable me to slowly and slowly overcome my anger. As I said, anger comes from demand. I demand things to be different from what they are. I demand that they should always be favorable to me. I demand that they should meet with my demand requirement. So impose myself on others. That he should behave in this way, should talk in this way, should follow this religion, should dress in certain ways. All these various demands are there. So to the extent that I drop my demands, to that extent the possible anger will be less. To that extent the possible himsa or violence also will be less. And so, himsa, non-violence, primarily requires that we should deal with our anger. All violence arises from anger. And anger in turn arises from intolerance. Intolerance arises when my demands or my wishes are not fulfilled, they are not respected. And so ultimately, because I am a demanding person, so I should look at my own self and look at my own demands, look at my own needs. I demand that other people should change, other people should become agreeable to me, other people should become favorable to me, and so forth and so on. And thus, accepting and respecting everybody, being sensitive to them, to be what they are and however they are. So except to the extent that I become sensitive, to the extent that I become accepting, to the extent that I respect other living beings, I respect their rights of living. I respect their right of feeling the way they want. I respect their rights and requirements. To the extent that I respect them, to that extent I become non-demanding. To that extent I become more tolerant. To that extent I become less angry. To that extent I become less violent. <coughs> so the way to become non-violent is to be accepting <coughs> whatever God has created. That's what brings about shanti, forbearance, to forbear, to forgive, to accommodate, to be large-hearted. So this forgiveness of others, when does the question of forgiveness come? It comes when somebody has behaved in a very manner which is provoking me, which is hurting me. So there are occasions when there is a reason for me to be angry. Swamiji has done this. There are reasons for me to react. There are reasons for me to retaliate. So in our day-to-day interaction with people, people do behave in certain ways, in insulting ways, in hurting ways. And therefore, I feel that the person deserves punishment. You know, therefore, there is a reason for me to retaliate. And I have the capacity to retaliate also. I can give one. Very often, even though there is a reason to retaliate, I can't retaliate. Because I'm helpless. My boss tells me something in front of other people. I wish to say something, but I cannot say. Somebody much stronger than me, you know, catches hold of my neck and says things to me. I have to live with that, you know, because I cannot retaliate. But there are occasions when I can retaliate. And then also I do not retaliate. That I have the capacity to retaliate. or the capacity to uh, hurt others. And I have reason to retaliate, and capacity to retaliate, and still I do not retaliate. Shama. Shama or Shantihe means forbearance, means forgiving, being large-hearted, being sympathetic. <coughs> Swami, how can you be sympathetic with this person? See the way he behaves? He's hurting. He's hurting me. So, non-violence means not hurting others. Then a question always comes, Swami, I do not hurt others, but then others hurt me. So I do not hurt others, but others hurt me. What should I do at that time? This is when Kshama or accommodation or large-heartedness comes. Even when a person hurts me. So the way of dealing with this is to look at the person behind the behavior. A person who hurts 
must also be a person who is hurt himself. So when we look at our own behavior, then we'll find, when do I become angry or when do I become hurting to other people? When I feel pain or a sense of hurt in myself. So when somebody hurts me or somebody mistreats me, that is because the person has pain. So even though outwardly the behavior is very aggressive, outwardly the behavior is very hurting, but inward the person is very hurt and in pain. So when I look at that person, then the hurt and the pain, it would be possible for me to discover a sympathy for that person. Forgiveness doesn't mean I forgive him. I outwardly don't say anything, but inwardly I have a lot of things to say. That is not what is meant by forgiveness. Inwardly I have resolved the things. And that happens when, as I said, I see the person behind the behavior. Everybody is hurt and everybody is in pain. All outward aggressiveness is only a sign of inside fear. Outward aggressiveness is, it only shows inward insecurity, inward fear. So fearful people are always aggressive people. Hurt people are always hurting people. People in pain inflict pain upon others. Therefore, in the hurting or painful behavior of others, when I see a hurt person, a person in pain, a person who is insecure, person is fearful. When I see that, then my sympathy can be aroused. And it is a sympathy which gives rise to what we call kshama or forgiveness. <coughs> so understand that forgiveness is possible only when there is sympathy. And sympathy is possible only when there is understanding. Sympathy is possible when there is understanding and only when sympathy is there then kshama or forgiveness is there. Many people feel that they forgive others. But that forgiveness has not arisen from sympathy. Oh, I, I sympathize with him, but sympathy has not arisen from understanding. So, when Lord Krishna says, each value represents knowledge, you will find that a knowledge or understanding is involved in each value. In fact, each value only means understanding. These values are not a particular behavior. Non-violence, it is not that a given behavior is called non-violence. It is not a certain behavior is called humility. It is not a certain behavior and pretentiousness. It is only the understanding that is called non-violence. Understanding is called non-pretentiousness. Understanding is called forgiveness. So what should I do to forgive? It's not doing something. It is understanding something. What is understanding? Looking, understanding other person's pain, helplessness, fear, insecurity, and the attitude that brings about is called forgiveness. What is ahimsa? Being sensitive, understanding the need of the other person, and being sensitive to the need that brings about non-violence. Samayatvam, Adambhitvam, Ahimsa, Shantihi, Arjivam, Uprightness, Arjivam. Rujubhava. Ruju means straight. Arja means straightness. Honest in, in short. Arja means honesty. So Lord Krishna prescribes here the honesty as a value. <coughs> An alignment between the thought, the word and the deed is called uprightness or arjam. An alignment. So that is the characteristic of always the good people. Manasyekam, Vachasyekam, Karmanyekam, Mahatmanam. There are Mahatmas. Where? Manasyekam. What is in the mind? Vachasyekam. That is in the word. Karmanyekam. That is in the action. Manasyanyat, Vachasyanyat, Karmanyanyat, Duratmanam. The Duratmas are those where there is something else in the mind, something else in the speech, and something else in the action. <coughs> And so honesty and alignment between the, the word, the thought, the word and the deed. None of these values is easy by the way. This is not easy. If, if I had my way, I would follow all the values. Understand that the reason why I find myself compromising value is only because of my helplessness. I, I become violent because of helplessness. I pretend to be different because of helplessness. I become aggressive, retaliating because of helplessness. I am dishonest because of helplessness. Why am I dishonest? Why do I say something and think of something else? 
Why is there not alignment between my thought and the word and the deed? Because I am not strong enough. I am not strong enough to reveal what's going on in my mind. And what I reveal is different from what is in my mind. I may smile at a person, shake hands and express all my affection. Inside I may have hatred also. But then I am not strong enough to express what my feelings are because I am afraid that the person will hurt me, he will reject me, he will, you know, so forth. So, the fear of being rejected, the fear of being disapproved by the world makes me a dishonest person. And this is, all this is there in one major other than everybody. It's only that we have to become aware of these things in our own mind. We become aware of these things, identify these tendencies and then work with them. <coughs> and so, uprightness or honesty, uh, as we say, very often in society like India, where people are always observed by others, and everybody seems to know what everybody else is doing. There is very little privacy. In the home also, a lot of people live together, therefore there is no privacy. In the community also, the houses are all clustered together and therefore everybody knows what's going on there. Or people make it their business to know what's going on there also. And therefore, I always have this uh, fear of being exposed because I don't have that privacy. Then I create a private corner in my own self. Meaning that's how I keep my intentions within myself and not reveal them outside. Or I reveal my, uh, myself different from what my real intentions are. <coughs> Why is it so? Because I do not want him to know what's going on in my mind. Why is it so? Because I am afraid that he will reject me. What will he think of me? So when what other people think of me is important to me, when being accepted by others is important to me, when being approved by others is important to me, then I always pose myself in a manner which will win approval of other people, which will win acceptance of other people, whether I am inside that way or not. So again we talk of the pretentiousness, this is the same thing, pretending to be different from what I am, and therefore not being honest. I just remember one you know, incident in the life of Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, he was very open, transparent. And usually he would declare what's going on in his mind. He had no hesitation at all. Now, this incident is recorded you know, in his uh, biography. When he was 67, this was at age 67, one morning he was very upset and he was in pain and tears in his eyes. People asked him, mean, you look, seem to be very unhappy, what's the matter? He says, last night I had a dream. What happened? In the dream, so he had this vrata or the vow of celibacy. Mahatma Gandhi had observed this vow of celibacy from the age 37 all the way until he died. But he says, in the dream, I found myself that I was not, you know, he seemed to have perhaps sacrificed, compromised his celibacy in the dream. That this kind of thoughts came to me, this kind of passion came into me in the dream. And he was so pained, and he declared it outside, you know the people. Now, this is an extreme case of uprightness, of course. But that's just owning up oneself. And again, not judging myself by my mind or accepting my mind for what it is and owning up my shortcomings and limitations. That is the only way to become honest. Other thing that makes me dishonest is because I fall for my temptations. Whenever there is greed, that greed makes me dishonest. And so, Swamiji, what do you have to declare? You know, the customs officer asks, after a week that's going to happen. You know? I said, no, no, I'm nothing, you know. I said, but why are the suitcases are so heavy? And they're all my books, you know. And so he lets me go. Thank God he gives me the benefit of doubt, doesn't open those suitcases and see all kinds of things that I'm carrying with me. So why do I not pay my customs duty? Why do I lie? Because I have to pay customs duty. Why am I not paying customs duty? 50,000 rupees, a lot of money. But Swami, you have it, you don't need That's all right. But if I have some more, that's even better. And so it is the greed. It is the greed that makes me, it's anger that makes me a violent person. 
a non-forgiving person. It is greed that makes me a dishonest person. <coughs> and so we are dealing with our greed. For that santosha, santosha means contentment. Contentment with what I have. As Shankarajara says, Yallabhase nija karma apattam vittam tena vinodaya chittam Whatever you get by your honest effort, be content and happy with what you get by your honest effort. So, dishonesty comes when I want more than what rightfully belongs to me. You know? So, Ishavasya Upanishad will say, Madhruga kasya svidhanam We will not covet anybody's wealth. So, this coveting the wealth, this greed is what brings about dishonesty. So, uprightness, honesty. Acharya Upasanam Service to the teacher. <coughs> so, earlier values were all values where I am required to give up something. These values are, don't do this. Don't be proud. Don't be pretend, pretentious. Don't be violent. Don't be unforgiving. Don't be dishonest. You know, don'ts. Like in Yoga Shastra they say, do not, don'ts. So, do's and don'ts. So these values are of this nature, do's and don'ts. So what we were told in the first line were all don'ts, what we should not do. So once I was talking to an audience, you know, what we should not do, then somebody uh, raised a finger and said, Swamiji, why are you telling us what we should not do? In the modern psychology we are told that you should tell what we should do. You are telling us what you should not do. Yoga Shastra gives this yama, same thing, you know. Ahimsa, Satya, Asteya, Brahmacharya, Parigraha. Ahimsa means non-violence. Satya means non-falsehood. Asteya means non-stealing. Brahmacharya, non-indulgence. Aparigraha, non-holding. Not doing this, not doing this. Why are you asking us what not to do? Why did you tell us what to do? But because there is a tendency to do, therefore we are told not to do. There are these tendencies identified. That there is a tendency to violate. There is a tendency to tell a lie. There is a tendency to indulge. There is a tendency to steal. There is a tendency to hold. So these tendencies are there. And as long as I entertain those tendencies, in fact, I am violating my own self. And thus I am going moving away from myself and the very happiness that I am seeking. Unfortunately what happens is, the values are compromised by a person for the sake of happiness ultimately. Not knowing that in the very process of compromising values, that I am, I am in fact compromising the happiness itself. If I understood that, following these values means happiness, and sacrificing the values means unhappiness, then I would never sacrifice the values because the happiness for which I sacrifice the values is itself sacrificed in the process of sacrificing the values. <coughs> so the first line told us what not to do. Now, next value is Achari Upasanam, what we should do. So, values consist of what we should not do, at the same time, what we should do. Why are we told what we should do? Because we have a tendency not to do. So, we have a tendency to do something, then we are told not to do. So, wherever I have tendencies in me which damage myself, then I am asked not to do. And whenever I have lack of tendency to help myself, I am asked to cultivate those tendencies. In short, the values are twofold to uh, subdue those tendencies which are self-hurting and cultivate those tendencies which are self-helping. Subdue the tendencies that are self-hurting and cultivate the tendencies that are self-helping. So, Acharya Upasanam, service to the teacher, is a tendency that is helping myself. Because this is in context of knowledge. This is in context of knowledge that the value is given. If you are studying physics, nobody will tell you. Then also you should serve really, but then at least I that don't seem to value. Swamiji, I mean I'm paying, paying for it. Every class means what, thirty-five dollars to calculate, you know. And so uh, I'm paying for it. For every minute I'm paying fifty cents. So I don't need to do anything more than that. That's why here it is declared that for knowledge there is no charge. So that means I am not paying anything to my teacher. He is imparting knowledge to me and I am not paying anything. So what do I do? 
serve the teacher. Not as a payment, but in fact to develop the tuning up between myself and the teacher. That communication between the teacher and student can really take place when there is a tuning harmony between the teacher and the student. So serving the teacher is a process which is conducive to cultivating that harmony. You know, when can you serve a person? When you follow the likes and dislikes of that person. You do what that person likes and you do not do what the person does not like. To serve somebody. When do I feel I am served? When do I feel I am served? Not necessarily because a golden cutter is given to me. Not because a valuable thing is given to me. I feel I am served when I am given that which I think is valuable. And so, if I want to make some serving means making somebody happy. I must know their likes and dislikes. I must know their choices. And I must identify with those likes and dislikes. Giving up my dislike, likes and dislikes and identifying with the likes and dislikes of the ones whom I want to please. So all married people know, you know, what is meant by pleasing somebody. You can please somebody provided you identify with their likes and dislikes. Identifying with one's like, other people's likes and dislikes is dropping my likes and dislikes. This is very painful. So dropping my likes and dislikes, it was required in order to serve somebody. Is it not so? Suppose you serve, you, you made a wonderful thing, a dish, but a person doesn't like, oh you made, what's the vegetable today? Bitter gold. I don't like it. Oh, but you know, Peter God, how expensive it is, how much time I took to prepare it. That's all right, but I don't like it. <laughs> and so poor wife may have to cook the food, which she may not like and the husband likes. Because both of them come from different backgrounds. She comes from a background where in their home, there always a lot of sugar and jaggery and stuff like that in the food. <laughs> and he gets married to a person who does not eat, no, no, doesn't tolerate any sugar, no jaggery, nothing. You know, then what do you do? Or it may be other way around also. That he likes all jaggery and he, she doesn't like. Then what do you do? Right? If you want to please him, then the jaggery and etc. And then you also eat the same food. Of course, women also may cook too. It's possible. Said something. But most people don't do that. You know, They slowly and slowly acclimatize themselves. In course of time, this woman gets acclimatized to the new place. And her tastes also change. Everything changes because the new household demand that she should dress in a... They even they change the name. They don't like the old name, they change the name. She should dress in a certain way. She should cook in a certain way. She should do this in a certain way. Slowly and slowly, she does it. Because she wants to serve. She wants to please. <coughs> I hope so, you know. <laughs> but this is an example given as to when Acharya Upasanam, serving the teacher, meaning that identifying with the teacher, that's what it means. Serving is not because I bring some glass of water, I do some things, that is not only, as I said, serving also is not only certain kind of actions that I do, but serving is the attitude that I have. And what is that attitude? Attitude is identifying with the teacher. So value really is for a disciple is to identify with the teacher. When I'm identified with the teacher, then alone, what the teacher communicates to me will become clear to me. Then alone will become, will be grasped by me. Because as you know, in this particular communication, what is scrutinized is the ego. I am the subject matter of this communication. And I am scrutinized, my ego itself is scrutinized. And when can I scrutinize my ego? When, when I can create objectivity with reference to my own ego? When can I be objective with reference to my ego? When I identify with someone else, identify with the scriptures, and identify with the teachers. So primary value is for myself. That brings about a value for the knowledge. Because knowledge of myself is owning up myself. And that brings about a value for the scriptures, because scriptures are a means of the knowledge. That brings about a value for the teacher. Or that brings about a value for communication from the teacher to the student because it is through that communication that I learn and that brings out value for the teacher who communicates. See, in this way, primary value is always the self and therefore the knowledge is important. 
Therefore, the scriptures are important. Therefore, learning is important. Therefore, teachers' communication is important. And therefore, teacher is important. And the serving the teacher is to develop a tuning up with the teacher, identify with the teacher, gaining the ability to look at things from the eyes of the teacher. Gaining ability to look at things from the standpoint of the teacher. He is objective. A wise person is all one who identifies teacher means identify the scriptures. So identification of teacher is identification of scripture. And thus looking at things from the standpoint of the scripture. That ability I gain when I identify with the teacher. That identification happens when I serve the teacher. And that is why service to the teacher. <coughs> Being accepting their likes and dislikes and surrendering my likes and dislikes. So this brings about a surrender to the teacher. <coughs> Acharya Upasanam, Shaucham. Shaucham means purity. Twofold purity, external purity and inner purity. External purity, purity of my body, my clothes, the things around me. Cleanliness or purity. Not only cleanliness but purity, you know. Clean is one thing and pure is another thing. Something can be clean but not necessarily pure. So that the difference also should be known. Something can be clean but not necessarily pure. <coughs> and so, so Ganges water is pure, you know. Other water also can be clean, but the purity is in Ganges water. So that way, purity outside and purity inside. Sanctity outside, sanctity inside. And so purity of my mind, of course, is more important. Outside purity and inside purity. For purity of the mind, it is necessary that my environment must be pure, the food that I eat also should be pure, the company that I keep also should be pure, and whatever it is that goes into my mind by way of reading and studying and talking and watching and everything should be pure. You understand? Because I'm all the time impacted, all the stimuli is coming to me all the time from the outside world. In order that my mind is pure, all the stimuli also should be pure. One stimulus is coming by the food that I'm eating, and that's where purity of food, sattvic food. As Lord Krishna describes in the 17th chapter, food can be sattvic, rajas and tamas. Avoiding rajas food, avoiding tamas food and choosing what we call sattvic food. So what about meat? Tamas food. What about garlic? Tamas food. Onion? Rajas food. You know, that is how they will say. that. But Swami, all of that is good for health. They are good for physical health, but not necessarily for mental health, you know. So for spiritual health, they are recognized as not desirable. For physical health, if you need them, and if you take them, it's okay. But don't justify eating those things because it is healthy. The health is to be understood too is the health of the physical body, or gross body, health of the subtle body. So sattvic, rajas, tamas, these foods are basically, from the standpoint of the, the disposition of the mind. And so what kind of things I am reading? What kind of things I am watching? What shows I am watching? What movies I am watching? What books I am reading? What friends I have? What kind of things I talk to them? All of these have impact upon me. All of these contribute to the purity or impurity of my mind. Therefore, everywhere we have to be. So, ahara. Ahara means food. Food is taken not only at the, from the mouth, it is taken from all the senses. And therefore, watching out for them. <coughs> and purity of the mind. Purity of intention. And of course, uh, a lot of things are discussed about how to bring about that purity by what we call Pratipaksha Bhavana. Pratipaksha Bhavana means entertaining a Bhavana or entertaining an attitude opposite to what brings about an impure or an undesirable thought. <coughs> In that reference, we may tell you the story which we promised yesterday, you know, this Pratipaksha Bhavana. This story you must have heard, I am sure. But anyway, some of you may not have heard also. It is described in our, one of the Upanishads, Ruhadarnika Upanishad. Ruhadarnika Upanishad says that Trayahi Prajapatyaha, this Prajapati has three kinds of progeny. Devaha, Asuraha, Manavaha, the Devatas, the demons and the human beings. These are three progenies of the Prajapati, the Creator. Once upon a time, these people decided to go to Prajapati to get some instruction from him. 
And therefore, the devatas, the asuras and manavas, the gods, the demons and the humans, all of them send their representatives to Prajapati. As I said the other day, uh, just because you go to a teacher does not mean he starts teaching you right away. You have to live there for a period of time, live life of austerity, penance, serving the teacher, and after some time, Prajapati invited them, invited the devatas and asked them, what for have you come here? Sir, you have come here to get some instruction in our day-to-day life. So Prajapati gave instruction in one letter. He said, the. Did you hear what I said? He said, the. What do I mean? Dhamyata. Have control over yourself. So control. Self-control. Why did I say that? Because, sir, you are right. We live in heavens. In heavens of Swarga, all means of pleasure are available. We are always tempted for the pleasures. Ours is a pleasure-seeking life. And when pleasure-seeking life is there, there is no self-control at all. A person is controlled by the temptation of the senses, and that's how we are. And therefore, what you said is right, we should have control over the self. <coughs> then the Dhanavas went, the demons went, and they also asked for this Upadesha. They also were told that. What's the meaning of that? Dayadham, have daya, have compassion. Why did he say that? Because you are right, we are very cruel people. Cruelty and anger prevails among these demons. Therefore, how to deal with the anger or cruelty? The meaning daya, with compassion. Then the human beings went. They also requested in a similar way, and Prajapati told them also, the. What do I mean? The ta, be charitable, be generous. Why was it said? Because human beings are very greedy. Greedy means that not satisfied with what they have and not parting with what they have. So I'm not satisfied with the millions that I have and don't part with what I have. That's called greed. And so the ta, be charitable. So the, 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 or see, see, see. Control. Compassion, charity. Why is this being told? Because of these three tendencies, Kama, Krodha and Loha. Kama is the tendency to indulge in pleasure. Krodha is anger or cruelty. And Loha is greed or covetousness. And so see, see, see. For Kama or tendency to indulge, self-control. We will talk about that. For Krodha, anger, Compassion. Loga, the greed, there must be charity. So this is called Pratipaksha Bhavana. When the thought of indulgence arises, then replaced by a thought of control. When the thought of anger or cruelty arises, then replaced by the thought of compassion. And when the thought of greed arises, then replaced by the thought of charity. Just as the acid is neutralized by an alkali. And similarly also, the self-hurting tendencies are neutralized by self-helping tendencies. This method is called Pratipaksha Bhavana. Bhavana means this, this attitude of Pratipaksha, of taking the position which is opposite to the position which brought about a certain hurting or damaging tendency. And this is how, Saucham, we can maintain the cleanliness of our mind. And here Lord Krishna says that we should be in fact alert and vigilant to make sure that our mind is clean. Jealousy arises, diffuse it. Anger arises, diffuse it. Self-condemnation arises, diffuse it by the opposite tendency. Jealousy arises because I am jealous of someone who is, who is, you know, more than what I am, who achieved more than what I did, who is awarded more than what I am, Jealousy. Congratulations. Don't be jealous. Congratulate that person. Congratulating for what you attained. That's how jealousy is dealt with. And thus, karma, krodha, loba, isha, this time we should recognize where the tendencies arise from, understand them, and then diffuse them by the opposite tendency. That work should constantly go on so that these impurities are not built up in our mind. Otherwise, if we are not careful, they can build up they can become so 
prevalent, then so strong that ultimately would become very difficult for us to deal with them. As we say, while drinking tea or coffee, if the chop, if coffee drops on my shirt, immediately wipe it out, immediately wash it. If I leave it there for two, three days, becomes very difficult to remove. Some people don't care at all, tea and coffee and things goes on and on, you know. They don't even know if a few more drops are there, you know, sometimes. But the, the habit of all this, this is clean right away. Don't pile up anything there. Your cup of tea or coffee, wash it. Your dish, wash it. You pile up, or we'll do it tomorrow morning. Tomorrow further pile up, do it in the evening. And that's how, or just as when you don't clean the room for a long time, how all the cobwebs, you know, accumulate. This cobwebs also accumulate in our own mind. Therefore, this process of cleaning, that's called shaujam. Okay, we'll take the rest of them in the next class. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vajarayanam Sutra Bhashakrutau Vande Bhagavantau Punapunaha Ishvara Gururatmeji Murti Bhavine Vyoma Vajyapta Dehaya Dakshana Murtaye Nama